thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. been in a series called Go, and this morning, this morning, we have a special guest this morning with us, and I'm so excited. We're a part of a movement of churches called Every Nation Ministries, and they go around, and they exist to plant churches and campus ministries all around the world, and I'm excited that the, that the National Director for Church Planning is here this morning with us, and so can we give David Houston a warm welcome as he comes and shares the Word of God with us this morning? Hi, good morning, everyone. That was, a, that was a great time of worship. I am thrilled to be with you all this morning. Uh, Lauren, I believe, oversees children's ministry and Ashley worship. And Ashley, you wrote one of those songs. Fantastic. Uh, J. Tom is responsible for just about everything. Everything that goes wrong, it's J. Tom's fault here in the church. We know he's a tremendous man. And uh, Elisa on the campus, overseeing the campus outreach. It's just a tremendous leadership team that God has given us already in this church. And I love your pastor and his wife, Ben and Brandy, I think are gifted by Jesus to do what they're doing. I love the passion inside of them. I love the drive, the work ethic. And uh, they've come from a great church, and great things are going to happen here. This is a very exciting place to be. Uh, So I'm thrilled to be with you all this morning. I don't know where you are on your journey with Jesus. You may be, as we say in Tennessee, kicking the tires this morning. You may not be a believer in God. You may have a lot of questions this morning, and that's okay. None of us in this room has this mysterious, invisible creator completely figured out. None of us completely understand this Bible that we read. Fortunately, we do understand the amazing things that he has done for us and how he has loved us. And, of course, we're leading up to the Super Bowl of Christianity, which is Easter, uh, Super Bowl is next weekend for Christians around the world, and, and I hope you're already praying for friends and family and people around you that don't know Jesus yet, and I hope you're planning on uh, telling your story this week to them and spending some time with them and hopefully bringing them to church uh, next Sunday morning. <clears throat> I went through, uh, or let me say this first. My text this morning is John 14, 6, where Jesus made a, an amazing statement Uh, Some would say arrogant, uh, definitely dogmatic, uh, definitely exclusive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Lots of people at Vanderbilt University, at UCLA, at University of Texas, San Antonio, lots of people on the campuses and in our culture would say, I can't believe anyone would make such an arrogant, dogmatic statement. My title this morning for this talk is Innocent Blood for the Guilty, and I have three points. Innocent blood in the garden, innocent blood in Israel, and innocent blood from heaven. I did an anonymous online survey. I do this quite a bit. As uh, Pastor Ben said, my job is, is traveling around the world and primarily helping every nation new church plants. We're planting a new church uh, maybe one or two a week uh, somewhere in the world. And so great things are happening, and it's my privilege to go and serve those pastors. And so I, I live in a world of statistics and facts and best practices. And, and uh, I did this survey. Let's see if we can have this on the overhead. Uh, did this anonymous online survey. 
uh, in a church with these statements. First of all, I said, uh, the survey said, people of non-Christian faiths can worship God in the same way Christians do. What would you say? Don't say anything out loud, but do you agree with that? 43% agreed, and another 11% were undecided. The second one, the God of the Bible and the God of other world religions are the same God. 20% agreed, and another 14% were undecided. What about this one? A good person of a faith other than Christianity may go to heaven. What would you say? 29% agreed and 11% were undecided. What about this one? God hears the prayers of people who don't pray in Jesus' name. What would you say? 26% agreed. So if you agree with these statements, you've got a lot of people with you. You're in, you're in good company. If a person is sincere in what they believe, they will go to heaven. What would you say? What do you really believe about that? 29% agree with that. And the last two, Jesus is not the only way to be accepted by God and get to heaven. 25% of the people surveyed in this evangelical, born-again, Bible-believing church agree with that statement. And lastly... I believe in a loving God who would not send people to hell for sincere belief in their religion. What would you say? 27% agreed. Very, very interesting, isn't it? If you agree with those statements, then you're not going to work real hard to tell your story. If you agree with those statements, then, you know then church, yeah, it's, it's, it's preferred, it's nice, uh, but it's, you're not going to work that hard to bring people to church that don't know Jesus. If you believe in those statements, then you are disempowered as far as evangelism. You're not really challenged to the core to tell your story, to overcome pride and insecurity and fear, and tell other people what Jesus has done for them. This is real important, isn't it? This is not just an insignificant thing. And, of course, these statistics that I read that you might be shocked by, the pastor, when I went back and showed him the statistics from his own church, he was shocked and said, I'm sure that my people didn't understand that. I said, no, this is pretty much a national average of Christians, people that call themselves Christians in Bible-believing evangelical churches like ours. So this is a pretty big deal. Many people today think of God as an old, slightly senile grandfather who can be safely ignored. Now, I'm a grandfather. My ninth grandchild is coming any hour. My wife is uh, with our daughter-in-law in Florida right now uh, waiting for this little boy to come. But many people think of God as a slightly senile grandfather figure. He makes suggestions but not commands. He has desires for us but certainly not demands. He can be safely ignored. He is very understanding of our mistakes and would never punish anyone who meant well. Recent research in the United States said that 64% of people surveyed believe that they're going to heaven. Only 1% surveyed believe that they're going to fall short and go to the other place. This brings us back to our biblical text this morning, this exclusive statement that Jesus made. Jesus, of course, is the founder of Christianity. The Bible is all about him. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God except through me. 
How dare Jesus declare himself the only one? Was this just the epitome of arrogance? Was this just him being intolerant? How, this, if this, of course, is true, then all other religions are false. This is a big deal, isn't it? All religions claim to grant access to God and to heaven, but if Jesus is true, then there's only one way. If Jesus is true, then there's a lot of confusion and a lot of blindness in our world, and it behooves Christians that know Him to help people have clarity. If this is true, then no man can earn his way to heaven. No one will be good enough to merit heaven. Is this random and arbitrary on God's part? Did God just say, okay, I'm just going to pick out one person and it's going to be Jesus? Is there any justification for Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to God except through Him? Is there any evidence, any justification for this? We're going to look at that this morning as we take this journey together. Let's pray as we get further into this. Father, I thank You that You know every one of us intimately. You know the journey that we're on. You know what stage, what step we are on right now. You know what's right in front of us. You know the challenges to our minds. You know the challenges in our hearts. And Father, I thank You that You are a God of self-revelation. I thank You that You desire and You delight in helping us understand who You are. Father, pull back the curtain this morning. Highlight things we've never seen before. Father, uh, uh, give us clarity this morning. Convict us, challenge us, inspire us, Father. Help us see all over again who Jesus is and who you are and what Easter is all about. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember, three points to this. Number one, innocent blood in the garden. Number two, innocent blood in Israel. And number three, innocent blood from heaven. Let's start with the first one, innocent blood in the garden. God created the first man and woman. The Bible says Adam and Eve, and they had utopia. They had what all of us, C.S. Lewis said, all of us long for this in our hearts because it was, we were created to live in that. They had a place, uh, we still, of course, even unchristians use this phrase all the time. It's like the Garden of Eden. An idyllic place, no sickness, no disease, no fear, no enemy, no insecurity. You and I cannot imagine how amazing and perfect and wonderful the environment was. God created this for them. And of course, the greatest treasure of all is that God, the Bible says God would come and walk with them and talk with them in the garden. They had perfect access to the Creator and Judge of all men. Amazing what Adam and Eve had. God provided everything they need. No insecurity, no fear. These were the most brilliant humans that have ever lived on the planet. Sin had not entered in and clogged up the machinery yet. They had an amazing relationship. And God gave them one command. He said, I don't do this. I'm going to put a boundary around this. Don't do that because if you do that, you'll die. Amazingly, astoundingly, Adam and Eve chose to disobey. Adam and Eve chose to distrust this God who had done nothing but create a beautiful, perfect, idyllic world for them. They chose to disobey and rebel against God in His one command. And God came right afterwards and said, well, because you've done this, here's what's going to happen. Fear, shame, guilt, 
murder, lust, disease, all of that entered our planet right at that moment when they rebelled against God. Astoundingly, you, what happened next really should take our breath away. You would expect God would have been angry. God would have said, do you realize what you have done to you, to your children, to, your ch to the entire human race? Do you realize what you have plunged humanity into? If ever God was going to be the God with the ubiquitous lightning bolts coming from heaven, that would have been the time because God knew clearly what they had done. But instead, what did God do? It's, it's, it should take our breath away. The Bible says in Genesis 3 that God came and, of course, He told them, here's what's going to happen as a result of your rebellion. But then the Bible says in verse 21, I think it's chapter 3, the Bible says that God... Made, made clothes or tunics of skin and covered Adam and Eve with it. What's the significance of that for us? Adam and Eve, because they were living, had been living in a perfect world, had no need for clothes, had no need for covering. They didn't feel any shame, any guilt, any insecurity. But after sin came in, after they rebelled against God, they felt all of those things. And so God provided a covering for them, mercifully, graciously, lovingly. How did, where did God get the skins from? From an animal, obviously. I think it probably was a lamb. How did God kill the animal to get the skins? You may never have thought about this, but let's, just, let's paint this picture for a minute. I think God probably killed the animal right in front of them. I think God probably took a knife, maybe out of stone, and stabbed an innocent lamb right in front of them and let the blood drain out. Have you ever seen an animal die? Have you ever had a pet that you were real close to? I remember I had many pets growing up, especially some dogs. And, and uh, one time I saw our Cocker Spaniel called Tar Baby uh, out in the road in front of our house. I was about eight years old, and sure enough, Tar Baby had gotten run over and uh, broke my heart. I probably cried for a week. We had a big funeral in the backyard. <clears throat> Have you ever watched a pet die? Have you ever watched their eyes close as life drained away? You and I cannot imagine what this would have been like for Adam and Eve to see something die for the first time. There had been no death, no decay, no degeneration at all in the Garden of Eden until this moment. And then because of their rebellion, God took something innocent and drained the blood out of it. This would have been horrifying and amazing to our mom and dad at the same time. This would have been horrifying to see death, to see that blood come out and to see the animal die and it would have been amazing at the same time because I think they probably began to get the revelation right then. The innocent is dying for the guilty. What would God have been thinking as he killed that animal for Adam and Eve to provide a covering for them? What would have been on God's mind as he was doing that? Those of us that have read the Bible, we understand probably what was on his mind. This was a prophetic picture of what would be happening in Israel the nation he would birth, and then what would be happening with his only son. This was an amazing, amazing moment. Innocent blood in the garden. Number two, innocent blood in Israel. God birthed a nation. For those of you that are unfamiliar with the Bible, 
God birthed a nation through a man called Abraham. And, and in that uh, nation, God gave through a brilliant man named Moses who was trained in the house of the Pharaoh, who was a, a Ph.D. in our vernacular, in our world. Moses was a brilliant man. <clears throat> and God uh, used Moses to lead the children of Israel and to give them the Ten Commandments. That's where they came from. Moses uh, wrote those uh, as God dictated them to him. And God told Moses through these Ten Commandments, I want to protect the nation. I want to bless Israel like no nation has ever been blessed. I want to call them. They're a special people I've called unto myself. I want to heal them. I want to keep them free from disease and sickness. And most importantly, I want to have a special relationship. They're my people. I've, I've adopted them and called them to myself. But again, the Israelites, just like Adam and Eve, rebelled against God's commands. They disobeyed Him. And so what did God tell Moses to do? Similar to the garden, God told Moses, He said, I want every family once a year to bring a lamb, a pure, spotless lamb to the priest, and the priest is going to slit the throat of the lamb. Is God just into blood? Is God just, does He just love death? Of course not. There's a purpose in all this, isn't there? God told uh, Moses and Moses told the children of Israel, bring that perfect innocent lamb to the priest once a year. He'll slit the throat, drain the blood out, and then burn the, the corpse. And again, what was the point? The innocent dying for the guilty. Every year the Israelite, was, as he brought that lamb and he saw that lamb, that innocent lamb, die on his behalf, it was to remind him, God is gracious, but sin is terrible. Sin is destructive. A, a brilliant man later in life, or later in the New Testament, named Paul would write, the wages of sin is death. The punishment for sin is death. God is a holy God and must punish sin. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Why did God take an animal in the Garden of Eden and in Israel, why did God take an innocent animal to die for us, for the guilty? Because an animal hasn't sinned against God. An animal's blood was innocent and pure. The Bible talks about this in legal terms as if we're in a courtroom. That because, again, Paul's language, the wages of sin is death. The punishment for sin is death because God is a holy God. He must punish sin. He cannot just wink at it and overlook it. He's holy and pure and created us in His image. We have all sinned. So you could not die for me. I'm guilty of sin, but you could not die for me. The problem in all human history is no one has ever lived a perfect, innocent life. So God, through history, took innocent animals and and poured out their blood on our behalf as a temporary way to atone for our sins. God, Moses wrote this in Leviticus 17, 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your sins. Legal language again. God's saying someone has to die for your sin. Adam and Eve, Israelites, all of us. Someone has to die, but it has to be an innocent has to be innocent blood being poured out. So God used animals all through human history until we come to our last point, innocent blood from heaven. John the Baptist 
was walking one day, and he saw Jesus walking by, and he said, Behold, to all the crowd that was around him, that meant, Look, look, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Now, to you and I, that's just kind of a cool statement, but to an Israelite, to a Hebrew, that had special meaning. Because what had they been doing once a year? They had been bringing an innocent lamb to die, to, to be put to death in order for them to be atoned, in order for their sins to be covered and forgiven for another year. So John the Baptist was saying, look, here's the permanent one. Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Paul wrote it this way. He made him, God made him who knew no sin to be made sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The innocent dying for the guilty. Are you with me? This is why Jesus could make a statement and say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what we talk about at Christmas time, isn't it? That Jesus was born of a virgin. That Mary had never known a man, and yet she became an incubator for the Son of God. Why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Why could no one else, no human being, die for us besides Jesus? Because Jesus, His blood was not tainted with sin from his mom or his dad. The Bible tells us clearly that they thought Joseph was his earthly father, but he was not. Mary, and, and Jesus did not have Mary's blood in him. Jesus had pure, spotless blood in him because he came from heaven. God implanted him in a virgin's womb, and he grew there and was birthed from Mary. But Jesus was born, he was 100% human, and 100% divine. And he lived a perfect, innocent life, the only man attested by God ever in human history that, is, that every thought, every deed, every action, every motive of his heart was to obey the Creator, was to obey the Creator's commands. No one has ever come close to that in human history. And Jesus did it. He lived the perfect life. And that's why his blood could be shed for you and I. That's why the innocent dying for the guilty. Does this make sense? If you understand this, then you see, okay, there's justification for him being the only way to heaven, the only way to be forgiven. This brings clarity to a confused world. This is the greatest truth on the planet. This is the most important news anyone in San Antonio or Nashville or Cape Town or Vancouver will ever hear. This is exclusive news. This is important news. This is life and death on the line. This is why a small band of mostly uneducated followers of Jesus took off and went around the world, the known world, spreading the news. The innocent has died for the guilty. God has done the unimaginable. It took their breath away. You and I sometimes become so familiar with this that we forget the implications of all this. A man uh, in Europe centuries ago named Count Nicholas Zinzerdorf heard about this. He was a very wealthy royalty, and he renounced his riches and gave his life to Jesus and began discipling young people. 
And they began to be called the Moravians. And they were going all over the known earth telling people the innocent has died for the guilty. Two young boys got a burden for this island. Some of you, I hope, have heard this story. Two young boys got a burden for thousands of prisoners that were exiled on this island. There was no other way to get to them except to become a prisoner. So these two young boys sold themselves into slavery. They were so burdened for these thousands of men on this island that had never heard. And history records they were on the ship getting ready to pull off from the shore. And their grieving parents were on the shore crying and weeping. And one of the boys spontaneously grabbed the other one's arm and lifted it high in the air and said this, May the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his sufferings. That became the motto for the next hundred years for the Moravians. They went around the world telling people the innocent has died for the guilty. You know, I heard that uh, many people here are, are involved in, and have a burden in trying to stop human trafficking. I applaud you for that. I've been involved in that. My wife and I have. Human trafficking is a terrible injustice. There's, there are so many horrible things being done on our planet. There's so much injustice. But I believe the greatest injustice happening on this planet is that the innocent has died for the guilty and so many have never been told. This is why every nation plants churches around the world. This is why people like Ben and Brandy and many of you move, sell their homes, leave your jobs, uproot your family, move to another place. I was just talking to a church planner uh, similar to Ben Chapman who did this, and he, he and his wife gave their life savings, and the church didn't get off the ground. But you know what? He has no regrets. He moved. He spent all his life savings, but he has no regrets because he did what he, what he thought he should do, and he did it with all of his heart. I was just talking to a church planner in Atlanta, Georgia. Ben probably knows him. Andy King is his name. And Andy was telling me a great story about uh, their church. His, the, uh, there's a student at Kennesaw State University. This is North Atlanta. And uh, his name was Michael Phillips. He was not a Christian, uh, not serving Jesus at all. And uh, he had just been with his girlfriend in, uh, in her apartment and, and had drunk all this bottle and was pretty inebriated at the moment. And all of a sudden, he gets a text on his phone. And he, he looks at it, and he says, well, I don't know who that is. I, uh, and the text said this, hey, there's a new church that's just started. Here's the address. you got to come to it next Sunday. He reads that. He says, I don't know who that is. But he, then he thought, and he told me this in his own words. I talked to him about two months ago. He said, I thought, you know what? My life is about as empty as that bottle. I think I'm going to go. He went to the church the next Sunday. He wrote on the connect card. He said, I wasn't even supposed to be here. I don't know how I got here, but I'm loving this. He had to leave right after the service, but he came back the next Sunday. They gave the altar call, and he said, that makes sense to me. The innocent dying for me, and he surrendered his life to Jesus. He got baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit the next Sunday. And then when I talked to him about two months later, he said, I said, what are you going to do when you graduate in May? That's Two months from now. He said, I'm going to go full-time on the campus. I'm going to go to the school of ministry and get trained and raise a partnership team and come back to Kennesaw State and tell students what Jesus has done for them. 
That's what happens when you, when you realize what God has done for you. It transforms your life. It, it makes you an evangelist. It makes you an evangel. You want to tell people what God has done for them. Easter is only three. Uh, Easter is what? Next week. It's astounding. Do you, are, are you praying for people around you that don't know Jesus? Have you told them your story? I know you're just like me. I know uh, many times my, my petty pride, my fear, my insecurity. I, have, I make all these excuses why I can't tell people about Jesus. But I pray and I say, God, help me overcome that because people need to be told. And, and may the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his sufferings. I want to tell people about Jesus. And every nation is planting churches not just for lost people to be saved but also so that God might be glorified. Amen? What He has done might be vindicated and glorified. 82% of people last year in the United States that were surveyed, 82% said, if somebody invites me to come to church on Easter, I'll go. Have you invited anybody to come next week? Do you have 10 friends? I bet you do. 10 friends or acquaintances, according to the, on average, 8 out of 10 of them will come next Sunday if you'll invite them. What does that tell us? It tells us that Christians are not reaching out. Churches should be exploding in growth all over the country. But Christians are not telling the story. The greatest injustice happening in our country is that the innocent has died for the guilty. And yet people need to be told. Let me finish with this story. Uh, I have a, what I call a VIP list, and it's, it's three or four people that do not know Jesus, that haven't heard yet what He has done for them, and I'm praying for them. I try to pray for them every day, and I travel quite a bit. It's my job, but, but when I'm back in Nashville, I try to spend time with them. And so I, one of the men on my VIP list, his name is Roy. And so I, I, I got to tell Roy recently my story of what Jesus had done in my life. And he listened. He said, well, gosh, that's, that's great for you, David. You probably heard something like this. That's great for you. I'm glad it works for you. But I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Him. And, of course, when I dug a little bit and listened to him and asked his story, he had a, a terrible dad, had a horrific dad. And he won't admit to this, but he's, he's blaming God and saying, if, there were, if, God was, if there's a God of love, He wouldn't have allowed this to happen in my life. And so these questions are a barrier between Him and God. So I told him my story, and, uh, and then I, I, I kept praying for him, and then I got to talk to him again. Uh, and so I asked him to come to church. And so he came to church with me, and I'm sitting here on the aisle, and then Roy's sitting next to me, and then his wife and two uh, teenage girls... Uh, and so we're, during the, the singing, the praise and worship, he leaned over and whispered to me. He said, do you do this every week? And I, I thought, well, what does he mean? That's a strange question. I said, well, Roy, you know, of course, we're whispering because it's during church. I said, well, you know, I travel a lot, so I'm not here every week. But, yeah, we have church every week. He said, here? I said, yeah, we meet in this building. And I'm thinking, gosh, these are strange questions. And, and, and the offering bucket came by a little bit later. And have you ever been next to somebody and you realize how nervous they are? It's like I was in the elevator this morning and this guy, these two people came in the elevator and I'm already in there and, and, uh, and it was just awkward for them. 
You know how you're in an elevator and people don't want to look at each other and you look at the signs, you look at the little lights on the wall, you do anything but look at each other. It's just awkward. Well, Roy was awkward during the offering. I could tell he, he doesn't know what he's supposed to do. And, and then the connect card and, and uh, during the sermon, you know, he's jingling his keys in his pocket. And, and afterwards, you know, I said, well, Roy, what did you think? And, and, what did you, and, and he asked some more questions. And I said, well, Roy, when's the last time you were in church? He said, I've never been in church. And I knew he was uh, brought up, he was Honduran, but he was brought up in London and Hispanic. And so I said, what, you mean you haven't been to church, you know, since you were a child? He said, no, I've never been in church. I said, you didn't go to Catholic church? You've never been in church in your life? He said, never. I was astounded in North America. He's lived in North America for 25 years and never, nobody's ever invited him to a church. He's never heard the gospel till I told it to him. You know what? There are people around you, I bet, the same way. People that have never been told, and they'll come to church, and they'll listen to your story if you'll just tell them. And you say, well, David, I don't know what I would say if they ask this question or that question. I understand I battle those same excuses in my mind. But you know what? You don't have to know everything, uh, everything in the Bible. You don't have to be able to answer all their questions. Just tell your story of what Jesus has done in your life. Amen? Just tell them what he has done. Tell them about the innocent dying for the guilty. You don't have to get the phrases right. You don't have to get it. Romans 3.23 exactly. Just tell what you know. You're one step ahead of them, and God can use it. Whoever, however Michael Phillips got that wayward text, we don't know how, we to this day don't know how that happened. Did somebody send it to the wrong address or did God just intervene and, say, and cut off AT&T and say, no, it's not going to go that direction. I'm going to have it go this direction. Nobody would have thought Michael Phillips was ready to become a Christian, but God knew he was. God had already been working on his heart. We are imperfect witnesses, but we have a story to tell. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, every time we think of it again, every time we look back in history and see what you did in the Garden of Eden, what you did in Israel, and what you did through Jesus, it takes our breath away. We don't deserve that kind of love and forgiveness and mercy, but we praise you and we worship you and we bow our knee to you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for what you have done without us even asking. While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. It's astounding to us, Father. Father, I pray for anyone here that doesn't know you. I pray that the Holy Spirit is opening their heart and mind. And if that's you right now, can I lead you in a prayer just with your eyes closed right now from your heart? If you're seeing something for the first time and you're wanting to surrender to your, your life to Jesus, pray something like this. Pray this after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. The innocent dying for the guilty. I admit I am guilty. I have sinned. I have broken the commandments. I have lived for myself and not for my Creator. I am guilty. Thank you for dying for me so that I might be forgiven. I surrender my life to you. 
I'm turning from my sins. I'm going to open the Bible. I'm going to to be a part of the church to find out how to live, to grow in my relationship with you. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, would you come up afterwards and talk with one of us? We have people that have been trained to help you take, to help you figure out what are the next steps that you need to take. And for Christians this morning, what is our response? It's to pray for lost people. Maybe make a VIP list if you don't have one. Start praying for them every day. What you pray for, your heart tends to go in that direction. And God wants you to begin to care for lost people, to care for people that need clarity, that don't know what He has done for them. Father, we thank you that you're inspiring us, that you're giving us courage, that you're giving us courage to overcome our petty fears, our insecurities, the things that the excuses we make, that I make, Father. Father, help us to be bold this week. Above all weeks of the year, help us to be bold and courageous. Father, help us to overcome our selfishness and mark out 30 minutes this week, 60 minutes this week, for people that don't know what God has done for them. Help us to be unselfish. Help us to walk in love instead of selfishness. Thank you for the church. Thank you for inspiring us and challenging us and teaching us how to live this life in a way that pleases you and a way that brings fulfillment and joy to our hearts. Thank you for this, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.